Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Next Steps of Knowing God, and it is part of the BCC Next Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Amen. Are you enjoying your Memorial Day weekend so far? And uh, we want to make sure you pause and give thanks to God for uh, our military and all those people who gave their life, not freedom today. And it's a very real thing. It's a very real thing. I realize patriotism is not uh, what it once was in, in our country, and, uh, but it's still a good thing. And so let me encourage you and let me say, well, I want to just say thanks to all, all of you, all those who gave their life. And yes, good. And thanks to all of you here today who risked your lives, who went and served, even though you. My mother actually uh, lost her first husband in World War II, uh, the island of... Uh, well, I don't remember the name of it right now. But anyway, he lost his life, and she was uh, in California in a very, very difficult time. An amazing story of how, how God took care of her in spite of being there all alone. And um, uh, so uh, I, I grew up uh, looking at his Purple Heart and talking to her about that and understand, grew up understanding the pain of that. So... Oh, uh, let's see. A uh, good word, Christy. Uh, I, I normally don't like it when worship team leaders uh, talk a long time, but that was, the, that was of God this morning, and that's a really good word, and I just want to encourage you to, to, to take that to heart, parents, and, uh, because this, this thing will come up in your heart uh, that, oh, I've, I've forced my kids, to, I can't force my values on my kids. <laughs> well, I would advise you to force your values on them <laughs> because outside these walls, there's a whole bunch of people trying to force their values on them. So you better get out in front. And uh, uh, your kids will thank you. You, you just, you just got to realize that they're wonderful. They're sweet. They're awesome. But they're brain damaged. <laughs> you know, and, uh, no, no, seriously, seriously. Uh, I shouldn't get off of this side trail, but... But this, seriously, it's a, it's, a, it's a biological fact that the frontal lobes are not connected to the rest of the brain until you're like 21, 25, some people 45, I think. But uh, <laughs> No, seriously, that you're not connected. It's not, you're not brain damaged. I, I, I'm, being, I'm being silly. But, but the, there's, not, there's not the connection between emotions and, and, ration, and ration, uh, rationalization. There's not the connection. It's been the biological connection. That's why kids are emotional. They're very emotional. And that's a good thing. We want them. We want you guys to be emotional. We enjoy that. That's awesome. Don't try to, don't try to be an adult before your before time. Enjoy it. Enjoy being crazy and emotional and doing things that you don't think about what you're doing before you do them. And you, you ride skateboards down rails and. Stuff like that. You won't do that when your brain, when your brain uh, synapses connect someday. You'll stop doing that. But do it now. Enjoy it. Enjoy that risk-taking that you do and 
just, just don't drive too fast. Don't do that. That, that, that can end in tragedy. But uh, a broken skull, you will survive. You will, you'll get healed. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm going to have fun today because I, <laughs> I, I know some of our regulars are traveling, and so they'll never know what I said. <laughs> Well, today we're going to talk about next, we're talking about next steps, and, and we're going to talk about the next step of knowing God. And um, for some of you, that is your next step, is to know God. And it's the most important next step of all. Proverbs 29, 18, the theme for this series says, Oh, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. For when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So that's what this series is about, it's, trying to figure out as a church, as a body. That's one, another reason I'm glad Christy addressed that because this series is about our church and what, kind of, what, are, what are the next steps for our church. So today, though, we're going to talk about knowing God. And this is the most important step you can take. Who you know is really important. Relationships are the most important thing in your life. Think about it. Think about famous relationships. Think about Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. Think about Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard. Think about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Think about Jerry Yang and David Freelaw. I realize you're not familiar with some of these names, but in a second I'll tell you why some of those are important that you don't know. What about Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak? What about Orbel and Wolver Wright? What about Bill Gates and Paul Allen? If, if we didn't have these great friendships, or, or, and even maybe they wouldn't call them friendships, but these great partnerships, like if you didn't have Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, you wouldn't have Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That would be tragic, right? You wouldn't have Hewlett and Packard if you didn't have Bill Hewlett and David Packard. You, if People don't know about Charlie Munger as much as they know about Bill, uh, Warren Buffett, but Warren Buffett needed Charlie Munger in order to be the great financier and investor that he is. Jerry Yang and David Filo created Yahoo, and they wouldn't have done that separately. They did it together. And, of course, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. There's no question Steve Jobs would not have created Apple without Steve Wozniak. There's no question that I, I doubt if Orville would have created an airplane, but Orville and Wilbur did because they, they worked together. Bill Gates and Paul Allen, and Paul Allen later became the owner of the uh, Seattle Seahawks, and uh, famous duo, famous duo, famous people who knew, knew each other. Well, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about the relationship that matters most. You, you may not be fortunate enough to create a relationship with somebody that will make you rich and famous. You may not have that happen to you. It doesn't happen to most people. It doesn't, hasn't happened to me, though. Though Phil and Sherry's a pretty amazing duo, right? <laughs> and that's worked out pretty good. <laughs> that has worked out. I, I guess I, I guess I, had, I guess it has put me in that, in that group that I just mentioned, right? <laughs> but, but every one of you have an opportunity to have a relationship with someone, and I mean this sincerely. This is the realest thing that I can possibly share with you. You have the, you have the response. You have the opportunity to have a relationship with one that's way more capable, way more important, who matters way more than any of those relationships that I just talked about. And he says, he gives us the 
importance of the relationship and the why and the how in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he, was committed to, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, he says that word reconciled over and over again. And if you break down the word reconcile, it's reconcile, reconcile. So humanity was once conciled, once, once connected with God. And so it lets you know that something went wrong, something happened. We were once in a position of all living up to our vast potential because we had that friendship. We had that fellowship with the one who had all wisdom and all knowledge. We had that fellowship with one who, un, who, who created us and knew how we would work best. We had that fellowship with one who, who would partner with us. And as in Genesis talks about, he came down and walked in the cool of the day. But something happened. Something happened. Sin happened to us. Failure happened to us. Brokenness happened to us. So without this relationship, you cannot be who you're intended to be. So why should we want? I've kind of given it away a little bit already. Why should we want to know God? First of all, if God is real, it's, an, it's a logical choice. If God isn't real, if there is no God, then of course it's not a logical choice. But if God is real, it's just a logical choice that you should want to know him. And most people in the world actually believe that God is real. They believe there is a God. I would dare say that in this room this morning, it's probably 100%. It's probably 100%. There might be an outlier or two in the room, but I would say it's 100% that you really believe there is a God. And the message of the gospel is so simple is you can know him. You can have a relationship with him. Now, this doesn't mean you know everything about him. Of course not. How many of you have been married for more than 10 years? How many of you been married for more than 20 years? More than 30 years? More than 40? Anybody 50? Yeah. Let me ask all of you, are you still learning things about your spouse that you didn't know? Every day. And that, that, we're not joking. That's not funny. We're not trying to be funny. We learn things. So knowing God is not like, I know all about him. I know everything about God. No. It means you, have, you are connected. You're in a position to learn something new about him every day. You're in a position, and I'm telling you, it is one of the most awesome and amazing, and I, I, I'm telling you this is so real. This is one of the most awesome, amazing things that I'm in relationship with God. I'm in relationship with the creator of the world, and I learn something about him every day, something new and something wonderful. I, I never learn anything about him that's bad news. That may not be true about your spouse. 
But that's true about God. <laughs> Secondly, knowing God is the definition of eternal life. John 17, 3 says, and this is, this is eternal life, that people know you. Now, uh, the first time I read that verse a few days ago, I, was, I thought it was said, okay, to know, to have eternal life, I have to know God. That's how, that's how I thought I was going to preach this. Oh, I need to tell the people that if they're going to have eternal life, they've got to know God. And, and that's true. I believe that's true, yes. But that's not what he said. I went back and read it again, and I read it, I read it four or five times, and I got it. Oh, Jesus is not saying to have eternal life, you need to know God. He's saying to know God is eternal life. That is the definition of eternal life. Let me give you an illustration. Think of what for you would be a luxury vacation. I don't know, Fiji, Spain, Paris. Think of the most luxurious place you could imagine being. The most luxurious accommodations, the most delectable food, the most exciting excursions and sights that you would, you would see, the most fabulous accommodations that you could possibly have with the best service you could possibly have. Everything would be perfect. We're talking about, we're, there, there, there are vacations out there that cost $40,000, $50,000 a night. They really are. Think about what, you know, think about flying first class or, or, or being flown in a private jet to, your, to this incredible location. Maybe for you it would be an island, having a whole island to yourself. But here's the caveat. You have to take with you the most annoying person that you know. The most irritating Maybe even someone who hurt, hurts you, has hurt you deeply. The person who you find most aggravating. The person that stresses you the most. I, I've got a person in mind right now. <laughs> They're not in the room. And they, they, they won't be here next Sunday either, I'm pretty sure. But they, and, and I don't mean, you say, well, I'd take them with me, that they, they can stay in another. No, no, this person has to stay in your, you have to have every meal with them. You have to look over them at the breakfast table. If you go to see an excursion, they sit by you on the bus. I, you know what you would say to me? Forget it. <laughs> I am not going. <laughs> There's no vacation that wonderful. That you would, go to go, you would spend it with a person that drives you crazy, with a person that offends you, that hurts you, that annoys you. What does this say to us? This says to us that what, it's what Solomon said in Proverbs 15, 17, better a crust of bread in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. See, you know why heaven's going to be wonderful? It isn't going to be because of pearly gates and gold streets. That's not why heaven is going to be wonderful. It's not going to be because of luxurious dwellings and mansions that we're going to live in. Heaven is going to be heaven because God is there. Amen? Amen? 
We won't care if the streets are gold or gravel because God is there. Because you know the best times of your life have often been where you weren't in a luxurious place. You weren't in the, eating the greatest food, but you were with somebody that made you laugh, that you had fun with, somebody that loved you, and you loved them, and you loved them, and you had great conversation with them. God knows that. So God says, God's saying to you and I today, I will give you eternal life. When does he give it to us? When we die? Huh? Now. Now. He invites us to have his presence in our life. We can, knowing God is eternal life. It's not about a place. It's not about gold streets, gates, pearly gates, or luxurious dwelling places. Heaven is about who you're with. I'm inviting you to know God today, amen? With eternal life, you know, here, here's the thing about this relationship. You will make better decisions with God's presence in your life. You will have a better attitude. You will deal with suffering and hardship much better. You will set your priorities better when you have the presence of God in your life. When I went through a period of time where I began to doubt the existence of God and I began to be, have no conversation with God. It went on for a few days, maybe, maybe even went into weeks. But you know, the thing that I missed the most in my life during those days was prayer. I found out, and I didn't know this before, I found out for sure that prayer and talking to yourself is different. I found out, I experienced what it was like to talk to myself as opposed, because, and it's very, very simple. It's very simple. It's very simple. When you, when you talk to yourself, you compare your thoughts, and that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do, to think. That's called thinking. It's called thinking when you compare your thoughts. But when you talk to God, things come back to you and, and this happens all the time. If you're, if you're a person who knows God, you know this happens to you all the time. What comes back to you, you know it didn't come from you. Right? You go, no, I, I didn't think of that. That wasn't me. I, I, sometimes it's, I would never think of that. I would never want to think of that. Because God will often, often tell you things you don't want to know. <laughs> really? God will tell you things you don't want to think about. And it, it, it is, I, 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 it, for those of you who don't know God, I, just, I hope before this sermon is over, I can, I can make sure and tell you how to know God. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Let me, let me tell you the third reason that you, 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 want, you should want to know God. So thirdly, knowing God means you get to make him known. And that will give you a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. That will re give you a reason to go out into the world when the, as verse 19 says, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, for therefore we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Imagine the meaning that will add to everything you do. 
you will do many of the same things after you know God as before you know God. You will, still, you will still probably hopefully clean your house. You will still probably service your car. You will still probably do for your family. You will still probably do for your fellow employer, employees and your employer. You will still be a helpful person. But now, now you do it to reconcile men to God. Now you have this amazing, eternal purpose for why you are living. Now you know why you are doing it. Now you're not a robot anymore. Now you know why you're doing it. Now you know why you're loving, why you're caring, why you're giving, why you're going, why you're working. Now you have a reason. And, and let me tell you something. Your how depends on your why. And if you have the right why, you won't worry so much about the how. Because your why will drive the how, and it will revolutionize your life when you know why you're alive. You're alive in this world to know God and to make him known. That's why you're in the world. I said, that's why you're in the world. That's why we're a church. That's why you live. That's why you breathe. One reason and one reason, two reasons, to know God and to make him known. And it's a really an exciting life. If you can't think, and this is a bonus, if you can't think of any other reason that you should know God, here's the here's final reason. And it's not, I don't think it's in your notes. If you think about what a terrible person you are capable of being without God's influence in your life. That's, that's, the cl- that's the clincher for me. When I can't think of any other reason that I should, I should keep knowing God and living a relationship with God, I realize what a selfish, self-absorbed, difficult, painful person I can be when God is not telling me what to do and influencing my life. So you should thank God for God. <laughs> So let's move to the next idea here that we want to talk about today is how can we know God? How can we know him? Most people want to know him, but how can we do it? Um, what is a Christian, by the way? A Christian, is, it, is a Christian a nice person? No. You can go, you know. Is a Christian somebody who, who comes to church? No. You can go hang out in your garage. You won't become a car. You can hang out at McDonald's a lot. You won't become a hamburger. The word Christian is a Christ-eon. It's a Christ-eon. A Christian is someone who is trusting Christ. Now, one thing that's kind of confusing to folks is, when do you cross that line of not knowing God to knowing God? When you cross that line of being a Christian, well, you know, in, in the old days, we, we gave what we called altar calls. And if you've ever watched, uh, maybe on television, a Billy Graham crusade, and they sing just as I am without one plea, and everybody goes down front, and you say a prayer, and you become a Christian. 21st century, as we move along, we've kind of moved away from the dramatic altar call because people don't want to be embarrassed and called out. So we don't always do the dramatic. And besides, I think we kind of figured out that some people, not everybody that went down really connected with God. Some people did, some people didn't. So we found out that wasn't a, 
That wasn't like, oh, they're a Christian now. They went down front. Some people were, some people weren't. So I, I'm gonna, I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if you take a, a train from Paris to Berlin, and some people on the train know exactly when they cross over into Germany. Some people on the train go to sleep. So they don't know when they cross over. But they wake up in Berlin. And that's the way it is with you. Some of you are going to know the very second that you cross the line of faith and you know God. For some of you, you're just going to be with us and be with us and we welcome you. That's why we, we want to be a church. It just welcomes you. And we, you're going to welcome, we, we welcome you here and you're going to be involved. And then you're just going to, one day you're going to realize, I now believe with all of my heart. And I do think it's important that you pray with someone. And I'm going to talk in a minute about water baptism. In a, in a minute, I'm going to talk about that. So I really think it's important you take those steps and you confirm your, with your, yourself that you've made that commitment. But knowing God is about trusting Jesus Christ. It's that simple. John 14, 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, when you met me, he wasn't saying we're the same person, but he's saying that when you meet me, you experience everything that you experience in the Father. You know the Father. If you ever want to know what God is like, read the four Gospels, and you will know exactly what God is like. So um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 also confirms this idea that trusting Christ is the way to know God. And he said, according to his eternal purpose in Ephesians 3, 11, 12, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in him and through him and through faith in him, we may approach God. So we approach God with freedom and confidence. We were not capable of approaching God without Christ. So what does it mean? What does it mean to accept Christ? What does it mean to come in relationship with Christ in a way that now you know God? Well, I would break it down in these ways. First of all, you believe Christ. The number one reason that students claim they go away from God is intellectual skepticism. Intellectual skepticism. And here's part of the reason we've become intellectually skeptical about Jesus. It's because we confuse scientific evidence with historical evidence. Scientifically, you cannot prove that Jesus was the truth and spoke the truth. You can't put it in a test tube. To, to prove things scientifically requires controlled conditions. And we haven't found a way to go back to the first century or the pre-first century BC, we haven't found a way to go back and prove things scientifically. Now, we have different ways of dating things, and so they, we try carbon dating. Even some people doubt that is accurate, but anyway, we do it. But, but when it comes to evidence, we don't, you don't require historical evidence to prove, or, or, or scientific evidence to prove that Alexander the Great existed and conquered the known world. Because we have historical evidence. We have a lot of historical evidence that Alexander the Great existed and that he conquered 
the known world. Nobody doubts it because we believe historical evidence. In fact, in a court of law, in a court of law, most cases are not decided by scientific evidence. They're decided by historical evidence. They're decided, what do I mean by historical evidence? I'm by witnesses, witnesses and clues. And we decide, yes, you committed the murder. Because you were in that house at that time. We can determine that you were there. And witnesses say that you were there, blah, blah, blah. It's what we do. Well, Christianity and Jesus, I mean, to believe in Jesus it is such a solid thing. To believe in Jesus is to put the weight of your existence. I mean, to, to believe him is, we don't have scientific evidence, but we have, like I said, historical evidence. In fact, let me, let me say this. There's more textual evidence outside of the Bible for Jesus than any other historical figure of his day. That's a fact. There's more historical evidence. In fact, there's a great book. I, I, I'll post the link to this book somewhere. I'll send it out in an email or put it on my Facebook account somewhere. A book called um, Can You Trust the... What's the name of that book? It's, uh, no, can you... I'll put the link. I can't remember. The title just left me. But it's, it's, Are the Gospels Reliable, I believe is the title. It's a great book. It's not hard to read. The chapters are fairly short. And it's a really book that you, if, you, if you doubt that the gospel is true and you doubt that Jesus is true, that's a great book for you. But it tells us that there's more textual evidence outside of the Bible that Jesus exists than any other historical figure of this day. And then there's the incomparable teachings of Jesus Christ. People that don't believe in God and don't believe in Jesus quote Jesus all the time. They quote the golden rule. They quote, love your neighbor as yourself. They quote, the teachings of Jesus are incomparable. Nobody, no one has ever risen up and said, the teachings of Jesus were, were bogus and stupid. I mean, the, go, go to the academy and the biggest critics and the biggest atheists, none of them say the teachings of Jesus are no good. Then there's Christ's personal witness about himself. Other teachers direct us to their teachings. Buddha, Confucius, those people. Christ called attention to himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Because there's the argument you will get from some people that Jesus did not believe he was the son of God, that Apostle Paul made that up. No, Jesus said it so many, many times in so many ways. And, and then there's the inability of the Roman Empire and the Jewish authorities to produce a body after his alleged resurrection. They all stood to gain by disproving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message of the resurrection caused the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities a lot of problems. They needed to squash this rumor that Jesus had risen from the dead and they had all power against this little band of weak followers of Jesus who were so weak and so, so, so weak and, and fragile that they weren't even sure they believed. And, and they had no military power. I mean, the, the, the best they had was like Peter had a sword. And he cut a guy's ear off with it. That's about as powerful as they could get. And body? Massive Roman Empire. You tell me they couldn't go find a body that they just crucified? It is ludicrous not to believe in the person of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I always say I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. 
And then there's the fact that the apostle, the apostle suffered and died. Who You can read the narrative that they were struggling to believe. They didn't know if they believed. But later, they, they, those apostles suffered and all but one of them died over the claim that Jesus was the Christ and that he rose again. Now, I know people, people die for a lie sometimes. That happens. But people don't die for what they know to be a lie. That doesn't happen. I mean... You, you, you know, you could push this thing to a certain extent, but when you see the guillotine and they're taking you to the guillotine, they're going to put your head down there and pull the trigger. You're going to wait a minute. I didn't really, nothing happened. Jesus did not rise from the dead. I'm sorry I said that. Can we forget I said that? <laughs> no, we're talking about people who put their neck on the guillotine. We're talking about a Simon Peter who, who was crucified, and according to, according to history, he, he, because he felt so unworthy to be crucified like Jesus, he insisted they crucify him upside down. You don't do that unless you know that you know that you know you saw something. And Peter saw something. He saw us, Jesus, ascend to the Father. I'm telling you, you're on solid ground today. And this is how you know God. And then there's the universal reverence for Christ. Nobody, and I mean nobody, says Jesus was evil, and nobody says he was crazy. But if he went around saying he was the son of God and he was going to save the world, there are people in, in institutions who say things like that. There, there are poor people who are, who are, who are crippled by, by a, a mental disease and there are people that have, have hallucinations about who they are. They think they're Napoleon, or they think they're Alexander the Great, or they think they're Abraham Lincoln. That happens, of course. But nobody ever says Jesus was, was crazy. And nobody ever says, as C.S. Lewis said, he was either Lord, liar, or lunatic. How many believe he was Lord? Amen? <laughs> then... Then there is the insuppressible growth of the Christian church in the world. Did you know there are 2.19 billion Christians? And that was the 2010. By 2050, there will be over 3 billion Christians in the world. I'm talking about living today. And there's this unprecedented revival now among the Muslims in North Africa that are coming to Christ by the thousands and they're being persecuted and they're being killed. And the press is not reporting it for some reason, but it's happening. But there's this great revival. And I've read of the Palestinian guy named Basam Adrani, a Muslim who became an atheist, who hated Jesus and he hated Jews, but he had begun to have nightly dreams about Jesus Christ. He made Christ his Savior and he's now ministering to Jews on the West Bank. And it's happening all over the world. You, you, won't see it on, you won't see it on CNN and MSNBC or even Fox. You won't see what God is doing all over the world. How could this not be real? And then there's the irrefutable evidence of changed lives. Uh, I read this article called Surprised by Jesus, How He Found Me at Harvard by Mark Shepard. 
He said, a student at the, he said, my first surprise was meeting Christians. He was actually a student at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. He said, my first surprise was meeting Christians who actually believe their faith. And in a thoughtful, intelligent way, my second surprise was in the power of the Bible, and particularly Jesus, to make sense of the world and to move and inspire me. As I read Jesus' sermons on the mount for the first time, I was blown away. My third surprise, which still surprises and challenges me to this day, was finding out that I am a sinner. This merits explanation. Sin in common usage is a joke. It's a word used for pleasurable things that prudish people label as bad. That was not what I meant by sin. Sin, in my experience, is rooted in an overwhelming pride. That is, when I enter the world, I want to be better than people around me, to be more impressive and more accomplished and to be recognized as such. Now I believe in Jesus. Boy, there's so many tens of thousands and millions of stories like this. We could go on and on and on all day talking about why you should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So believe Christ, but then there's the next step, and that is believe in Christ. Believe in Christ is another step. We know that Jesus' death on the cross is the reason we believe in God, but our, our, our salvation required that God died in our place, and believing in him is when you rest your eternal future, your past, present, and forever future on the Lord. It's what you did when you came to that seat that you're in this morning. You looked at it. You believed in it when you sat down. And you said, I believe this chair will hold me up. And that's exactly what happens when we give our lives to Christ and when we rest our worries, our fears, our, our moral struggles and we say, I don't know how I'm going to overcome. Maybe you're coming to Christ today and you have some big moral struggle and you're, you're afraid, you're afraid. Well, Christ will never love me or I don't know how that he's going to deal with that. I, I, I'll, let me leave, Pastor Phil, and let me come back in a year after I've stopped doing whatever I'm doing that I know is bad and whatever I'm doing that I know is, going to, is not Christian. And, and so, uh, no, that's not trusting Christ. Trusting Christ is what the old hymn says, just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. I'm going to come to you, Christ. I don't know. I know that I know I have that moral weakness. And I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. I don't know how, but I'm going to trust you to deal with it. I'm going to turn my life over to you. And we're going to see where this goes. It's going to go to a good place, I can promise you. The next step is surrender to Christ. The biblical idea of believe is to surrender, actually. Now, surrender to Christ is not like surrendering to the police or an enemy combatant. It is similar to a person in love who joyfully surrenders their independence, their privacy, their schedule to the object of their affection. It's that kind of surrender. The way you surrender, when you meet a friend and you get to know them and you want to be their friend, you surrender a part of yourself. You surrender some of your schedule. You surrender some of your time. You may surrender some of your food and some of your accommodations. And you may surrender even some of your money to you invest in that relationship. That's what it means to surrender to God. Isn't it interesting how love changes us. See, you, you won't change to be, you don't, you don't change to be accepted, but 
you change because you're accepted. You know, watching my adult children, I'm, I'm not going to throw Christy and Jay under the bus very far. <laughs> Just a little bit. But I've watched them move into adulthood, and I've watched them fall in love, and I've watched them move into the lives of their spouses, and their spouses move into their lives. They have surrendered. They have changed. Let me tell you just one example. This I mean, a little under the bus. They take care of their houses now better than they took care of mine. <laughs> Why? They surrendered. It's not that negative surrender, though. It's a sweet surrender. They're happy to surrender. They're blessed because they surrendered. That's what it means to surrender to Christ. It's the same kind. It's that sweet surrender. When you look at him and you realize what a treasure he is. And so you say, God, take my life. 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 If you meet Jesus, you will want him to take your life. I question whether you've met him if you don't want to give him your life. So I want to help you meet him. That's what a church is for. Finally, I, I, I need to quickly move on, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, but join Christ's family. You want to know God? Join Christ's family. The church is the body of Christ, and, and there's no way you can have the best relationship with God and not have a committed relationship with the church and the body of Christ. You know, if your big toe leaves your body, that big toe will die, and the church is the body of Christ. There's a special ordinance that I want you to participate in if you haven't already. It's called water baptism. And, and sometime in the near future, we're going to set the water baptism right there. And I want many of you here today, I want you, the water baptism is a sign that you've joined Christ and you've joined the church. It's both. And because it's, the water baptism is exactly what happens when a, when a, a free agent or, or joins a sports team. And they have that, you know, they have the... Um, um, press conference and the, the, the person comes out and they put on the jersey of their new team. They put on the hat of the new team. That's what water baptism is. It's when you stand before the body of Christ and you say, I'm joining the team. I'm becoming a part of the family of God. And I want you to do that when we, with the next opportunity that we offer. So that brings us to the last question, the mystery. Here's the big mystery. Here's the big question. Here's the question that we forget to ask. Here's the question. Why does he want to know us? Why does God want to know us? You. Look at your eyes. Look at them. Speckled. Colorful. Each one unique. And I created every one of them. I created everything. The universe. And you. I gave you your personality. I made you pure. Complex. 
every day. I give you life. I love you. But something happened. You cheated on me. You didn't trust me. You sinned. You cut yourself off from me. And although you're still alive, you are slowly dying. So you looked for other things. To fill the void. But nothing works. It just kills you faster. And it separates us more and more. What are you searching for? Follow me. So, that's the question. You believe? I believe that you believe. Will you say, I do? Relationship forming is very simple, not very formal. We know people, and we start orienting our lives around them. That's how we have relationships. If something happens to us during the day, we text them. If we know they're going to be somewhere, we may show up there. 
I find the number one reason that people go to events that we put on in the church is because their friends are going to be at that event. You're interested. If they ask for help, you learn they have a problem, you show up to help. They learn that we're interested in them. And then they become interested in us. That's how it works. Relationships are awesome. So let's have a relationship with God. How about that? A relationship with God always starts with prayer. It always starts with expressing our desire to know Him. It it always starts with agreeing to meet Him in an appointed place. We agree to stay in touch. I say it all the time. Let's stay in touch to people that I meet. It's an awesome moment when you meet God and you say, God, I want to stay in touch with you. That's what it is. It's a relationship. That's what people mean. I don't like the statement, and I don't say it. It's not religion. It's a relationship. But that's what they mean when they say that. I want our prayer partners to quickly come and get in place. And if you're here today, if you need prayer for anything whatsoever, just because you come down here doesn't mean that you've never met God, never met Jesus. But you may want to come down here because you're just going through a difficult situation. Maybe you... Maybe you, you're living with a relationship with God that's kind of broken right now, and you're not really talking to God very much. You want to renew your relationship with God. Maybe it's just as simple as you have a doctor's appointment on Wednesday, and you're worried about what you're going to hear. I want you to come down and be prayed for. And then maybe you are that person here today who's never, never put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never acknowledged, Christ, you're the way that I can know God, and I want to... I'm in. I'm in, Jesus. Whatever that means, I'm in. I'm in because of you. And because I believe in you, I'm going to surrender to a relationship with you. And you come up and be prayed for. You can let these prayer partners know. You can let them know this is why I'm here. You may choose not to let them know. That's up to you. It's entirely up to you. Let's come now. Let's enter into response time. Come on, folks. Let's do it.